You're listening to the Beautiful Life Podcast, where we believe this is no ordinary life, and every day an opportunity to discover more of God's heart, pursue His manifest presence, and make a difference by no ordinary means. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Nigel Desmond. For more information and other resources, visit www.noordinarylife.co.za. Traditionally, um, every year in the last 32 years or so of ministry, um, Debbie and I have preached a message, a, a vision message, around about this time of the year. Normally the first Sunday of the year, um, sometimes we would postpone it, um, particularly when we had very student-led congregations. And that was awesome um, in the first decade of ministry. But I did notice that rhyming prophetic words for the year started to reoccur. So, like, um, you know, 1994 is an open door, 2024 is an open door. And I began to notice that there was this kind of pattern coming. And um, it's been interesting actually going onto Facebook, and I have seen some of the, the, um, the proclamations over this year, and, and um, one, actually, several of my friends uh, are saying that 2024 is the year of the open door. And I, I looked at that and I was like, I was like, Lord, seriously, I mean, come on, I mean, you've got to come up with some new material, Jesus, um, if this is the case. And um, so I was feeling you know, a bit about that. And uh, then I went to the Lord in prayer. And annoyingly, I really did feel like the Lord said that 2024 is an open door. You know, I heard the Lord actually say that. And so I am going to release that over us and proclaim that over us as a church and over each of you individually um, that 2024 is going to be a year of an open door. Um, that God, God has um, opportunity waiting for you and breakthrough waiting for you. Some of the promises that have been uh, pent up and held back, I'm just proclaiming over you now that um, God is going to release them in, the, uh, in this year. But I did go back and, you know, I, I think sometimes the Lord likes to do that. Right? I think that sometimes when I'm feeling like, Lord, oh, come on, surely it can't be. You know? 1994, 2004, um, the one uh, decade where we skipped was the, the teens, you know? Because 2014, you know, they didn't, you know, everything with teens, you know? So that was, that was a challenging one for these rhyming prophetic words. But, um, <laughs> but great, we're back into the 20s now, so we can do them. But as Debbie and myself and Jeff prayed into this year, more than the, um, the 1994, 2004, more than the open door word, very, very strongly, the Lord began to speak to us about not so much the big things that happen in ministries, like, uh, uh, but the little things, the daily uh, things that uh, the Lord's calling us to. So turn with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and let's start there. And I, a couple of weeks ago, I actually preached off this, uh, this passage. And um, we just really felt the Lord highlighting uh, this for this year. It says, 
be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And um, it, it's an amazing pa uh, passage of scripture because the way it ends in this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's so often I find that in the Christian life, we pursue things, we pursue the will of God for our lives, but we often pursue the will of God for us in the over the line, overt big things, if I can put it that way. So we, we like, you know what, I wonder if it's God's will for my life to move to America or to um, wonder if it's God's will for my life to get that new, uh, new job. Or when, uh, when students go and study, it's like, should I be a teacher? Should I be, a, um, uh, should I, uh, be a, an accountant? Should I be a nurse? Should I be a doctor? Or what should I do? In this passage of scripture, it's really interesting. It says, be joyful always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. So Bill Johnson, I've heard him preach, he said, well, pick one. Be a nurse, or a teacher, or an accountant, or a graphic designer. Pick one, and then do this, because that's God's will for you. You see, sometimes we're so busy looking for God's will in the big stuff, that we neglect the, the, the so-called little stuff. And actually, it's the little stuff that gives power to the big stuff. I'll give you an example of that from, from our life. Um, a number of years ago, before Debbie and I really stepped into revival and revival culture and moving in God's power, we got to this place in our ministry, we'd been in this about 15 years, and we had planted two churches at that stage, and they were great churches. They really were. They were good churches. Our church in, in Grandson to this day just produces leaders. Just people go through there. Three years in, in that church was largely a student congregation. And um, three years in that congregation. And people leave Grandson and they end up being leaders in the churches they go to across the world. And that church, I think, last I looked at, has planted out. Uh, something like eight to ten different congregations around uh, around the world, uh, probably even, uh, even more uh, if you uh, if you count indirect uh, church plants. Not only that, but the people from that congregation have ended up in leadership all over the world. So uh, they, they were great churches. And um, the, se uh, the second church we planted in East London, um, was his people East London, which then became God Adventure. To this day. It's really a revival church. But we've got into about, and we must have been there about four or five years when we stepped into revival. But we've been there about eight years, and um, we had just got frustrated. We, we were reading, I was reading the Bible, and we were reading the Bible, and even though our church looked like a great church, and looked like many churches that we knew, when we read the Bible, it didn't look like what we read in the Bible. By which I mean that we, we were nice people and they had good leadership and they had good teaching, etc., etc., etc. But when I read my Bible, I saw signs and wonders and miracles. I saw healing happening. I saw prophecy happening. 
I saw the power of God and the presence of God manifested as I read my Bible. But that didn't seem to be my experience in church life. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Guys, some of you are looking at me like a, a, like a toad in a hailstorm. You know? um, and um, so we started to grow frustrated by this. We, we wanted to see the power of God. And so we started reading stories and testimonies of miracle power and of revivals of, uh, of um, earlier years, earlier revivals. And a hunger began to grow in us. And then one day, someone handed us one of Bill Johnson's books, and we read this book. And then the thing about that book that was, was different to every other book of revival that we read up until that time was that Bill Johnson was still alive. Bethel Church still existed. And every other revival book that I'd read until that time was in the olden days. Do you know what I'm saying? Way back when. And I read this book and Debbie and I both said, there are people somewhere in the world experiencing what we've always believed we ought to be experiencing and we want to experience. And so we made a decision that at that time it was like really difficult to do so, that I was just going to go and, and do what it takes to go there and find out how to do what they are doing. And it took us five flights. It took me five flights because it was the cheapest route I could find. So Sue being a travel agent will understand that direct flights cost more. My flight was East London, Joburg. Joburg, London. London, uh, somewhere in the, uh, in the States. Um, San Francisco, San Francisco, Reading. And went over to Bethel. Exhausted, wiped out. But I experienced something. Had an encounter with God, a wild encounter with God. Came back made arrangements with, uh, with my family. I said, we're going back next year. We're going to go back for six weeks. You remember? And we, we told the church, we're going to go to Bethel for six weeks uh, because we just want to go to learn and pick up something. And I remember when we went together, Debbie and I, we went to a conference called the Hammerhead Garments Healing Conference because I wanted to learn how to move in healing. How many of you would like to see the healing power of God move through your life more than it does now? Way more. How many of you would like to have the anointing on your life so powerfully that when you walk through the supermarket, people get healed of cancer as your shadow touches them? Wouldn't that be cool? Accidental drive-by healings. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yes, we say yes to that. We say yes to that. <laughs> we went over there, and I remember getting to this healing conference, and I went there and give me the, the, the healing manual. Like, this is how you do healing. And at the first session, the two leaders, uh, Chris Gore and uh, Joaquin Evans, walk in and they gave us a set of CDs on healing called Healing Soul. He said, I know you guys have come to the healing school. Here is the material. We're not going to do that this week. I can remember sitting there thinking, dude, 
You do not understand. I came from South Africa for that stuff. What are you going to do? For the rest of the week, they didn't do that at all. They just taught us about revival culture. And at the time, I couldn't understand what they were doing except on a daily basis, I kept on having encounters with God. And I remember some of the things that, that really struck me. They would bring in people from the church community. And, you know, I'd gone there and this had been my mindset. It's like I wanted to go and get myself a healing plant, take it home to my garden, at, uh, uh, my, my church garden, and plant it in our church so that we could have healing too. I was going to go there and get it and bring it back, plant it in my, uh, in my house. But they didn't do that. Instead, they just began attending to the culture of my heart. And so I remember one of the things that shocked me is they said, today we're going to have the children's church come and minister to you guys. Now you've got to understand, these were pastors, leaders um, from across the world. They come to this healing school and then they bring in the children's church. Now, Man, I was a little bit like, seriously? You know, because I'm thinking the children's church teachers are going to come. I'm a senior pastor. I've been in ministry 15 years. Thank you very much. I've got the briefcase and the suit to put it. They did not bring in the children's church teachers. They brought the children. They brought the children. And these little ones began to pray for us. And I mean, it, it was the wildest thing. You see these leaders go forward and they get down on, the, uh, on their knees and these little ones would lay hands on them and leader after leader after leader was laid out in the Holy Spirit. It was the wildest thing. I was sitting there watching these four, five, six-year-olds moving in greater anointing and power than I moved in and then all of my friends moved. And I would watch this and go, what is going on there? They had the, administ- the church administrator came in. Same thing. And actually, that church administrator, she, a, she became a personal friend of mine now. She's probably the most scary person I know when it comes to the moment. When you go to Bethel Church, her name is Deborah Coons. You can always find Deborah because there's always people on the floor all around. She moves through the auditorium and people just... It's, it's like it's watching it's like watching a wrecking ball walk through a crowd because she will walk through if she sneaks up behind you and lays hands on you, you you find yourself electrocuted on the floor with no warning. She's really dangerous. But I can remember that we had I'm like, I don't do that admin. I'm not interested in admin. But she came carrying something. She came carrying an anointing. And so Debbie and I would go to these meeting after meeting after meeting. And what we realized was we had gone over to learn to do something. But what God was doing in our hearts was he was changing the culture of our soul. You remember when we planted this church, those of you who were here when we originally planted, we took about a two or three month journey through culture. We spoke about the culture we wanted to develop here. We said we wanted to have a regenerative culture. And um, I believe that's still the calling on this church, is that 
and, and I use the gardening analogy, and um, it really works. When, because uh, funny enough, we, we kind of, I started my, uh, we moved into the house that we are in now, about a year before we started the church, but I thought it meant I started in my garden, so a lot of my thinking was the same. In the first year in my garden at home, I planted a whole lot of plants and very little group. It was, it was sad. It was really sad. And actually, not only did very little grow, but I found myself in constant warfare with the slugs and the snails and the bugs and, and nature. But as I started learning more about how to do this, I realized that what I was trying to do, I would take plants, I'd go and get expensive plants from the nursery, and I'd plant them in my garden, and I would kill them. Slowly, with love, but I would kill them. I would feed the slugs and the snakes. They were very happy, they multiplied. And then, as I started learning more, I realized that my attention needs to be less on the plants that I'm planting in the garden, but more on the soil that I'm planting them in. Yeah, and I started just growing passionate about having living soil in my garden. Now the amazing thing is, is I go to other people's gardens. I'm a, I love gardening, but I'm always fascinated to look at their soil. If there's a good, I'm, like my, my family can testify for about, even I probably still do it now, we go places and go to gardens, I'm like, ooh, look at the wood chips. Look at the wood chips on the soil. Look how dark that soil is. Man, these people know what it is. Because I know that when the soil is attended to and there's life in the soil, you can plant anything in that soil and it's going to grow. Not only that, but now, three years later, I, I have slugs and snails in my garden, but they're not overwhelming. My plants are so healthy now, they actually, I mean, I, I used to read about this. How can a plant fight off bugs? Who knew? They can. They can. And even though I still lose plants, two slugs and snakes, nowhere near what I used to, because after three years, my soil has got healthy. And I feel like that analogy is what the Lord is speaking to us about this year. And, and Danny and I, and Jess, when we prayed, we felt like this was the word for us. Unfortunately, it does not rhyme with 2024, but it is this word, remain in love. I feel like the word for us is to attend to the soil of the garden of our lives and to allow the love of God to saturate our life in such a way that when He sows his word and his seed in our lives, anything grows. Yeah. You see, for, for many people, they are pursuing the big things of the kingdom, but when they take those things and they plant them in the, in the garden of their life, the soil is so poor that it can't survive. For, for about a decade, after we encountered the Lord, and Debbie and I did a lot of ministry. 
a lot of traveling ministry. We, we got to travel in Europe, in Africa, in, uh, in, in the USA, traveled many different places. And so as a result, we got to minister in many different churches and encounter many different leaders. We were, uh, I, I had this experience, actually, with a couple of, city, a couple of churches in this city, interestingly enough, where I went and ministered in these churches, and we saw the power of God poured out really powerfully over a weekend. I mean, incredibly powerfully. I, I remember one particular conference go, uh, going, and uh, we ministered to, uh, to a lady. She had um, um, scoliosis, curvature of the spine, but so, so extreme that uh, her spine was fragile. And the team ministered to this lady. They laid hands on her. The power of God hit her, and she, we weren't all that experienced in those days, so we forgot to put a catcher behind her. The power of God hit her, and she just hit the concrete floor. Now, when someone has got a bad back, you do not want them to fall over on their back on the concrete floor. Not only that, but as she hit the floor, her eyes rolled back in her head. The person ministering to her went, oh my gosh, I killed her. I killed her. And she's terrified. She was down on the floor for a couple of minutes, and then she sat up. She said, I'm back. I'm back. It was like, yeah, yeah, get back. Only to find out that this young woman that hit the floor instantly got into a vision and met with the Lord in heaven. She said she felt in her vision that she'd been walking and talking with the Lord in a meadow in heaven. For She said she felt like she'd been there for ages. And then at the end, she was like, man, my friends will be worrying about me. Which is why she popped up saying, come back! And was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't go anywhere. That was completely healed. So we saw things like that. In, in that particular conference, I remember it started with, because the, the church was open-ish to the power of God, if I can put it that way. It was like the church were open, the leaders not so much, but I don't know how I got invited, I got invited. And I got up and I had one word of knowledge. And uh, I called it out, but it was a scary one. I opened up my mouth and I, uh, I remember saying, there's a boy here, you are, I think it was, it was like specific as, hey, you're 13 years of age, you've had three operations on your legs since, uh, since you were born, you've got pain on, uh, on this side, God's going to heal you. And you know when a prophetic word comes out your mouth and you go, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, listen Lord, there's no, uh, that, couldn't we have started with, there is a person here of indiscriminate age, of indiscriminate background, and you may possibly have a head. But no, it had to be that word. In a church, that were looking for me not to make it, in a sense. As it tumbles out my mouth, mum and her son uh, jump up and say, That's me! My associate pastor, who's next to me, shouts out, Come up here! God's going to heal you now! And I'm like, I'm thinking, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, you know, if you don't come through now, this is the first meeting of the conference. It's all going down here from here. So Cornet gets him up, and like by now, I have kind of almost locked down out of a sense of panic, you know? 
man of faith that I am. And Connor just prays for him and says, run! Now, this boy's never run. He says, run across the platform! And he takes off running. The whole place just went, wow! wow! After that faith was so high, I was calling out conditions I'd heard about. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, man, I, I, I didn't do it, but I'm sure I couldn't. I said, if you fall, stand up, you're getting here. You want to lose weight, it's happening. The faith just went absolutely to another level in the room. Do you know what's amazing though? Is that after that conference, I fully expected Science Wonders Miracles to become the culture of that church. Because what we had planted in that church was so incredible, it was so powerful, but it didn't take root. It didn't take root. And I realized that you can plant things in the soil, but if the soil can't support it, it will die. And you know, I feel like this is part of our quest for this year to make sure that we are attending to the soil of the culture of who we are as infinite and as the church of Cape Town so that when God begins throwing in revival seed into us, when God starts releasing His presence and His power at another level, when it hits the soil of our life, it grows. That when the slugs and snails of sin and temptation and other things and bitterness, etc. start coming and trying to invade our garden, they do not have the power to overcome the fruit that God wants to give us. Amen? And so, how do we do that? How do we do that? I believe it's by focusing on these things. By focusing on the culture of heaven in our lives. And, and um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 spoke about, it says, be joyful. What? Be joyful always. I mean, I find that an amazingly challenging statement. Who, who can honestly say they are always joyful? Please put up your hand because I want to pray for your truthfulness. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> did you hear, hear about the, the pastor who said to his congregation, he said, next week I will be preaching from Matthew chapter 16. And then the next week he got there and he, and he said to the congregation, he said, who read Matthew chapter 16? And several people put up their hand and said, all right. This week I'm going to be talking about walking in truth. There are only 15 chapters in Matthew. <laughs> that, to be honest, I'm not sure how many chapters are, but you get the illustration. <laughs> joyful always. Be joyful always. How many are there? I think I was trying to say for now. Well, my wife would know. My wife would know. I, I, I was thinking in random days. Um, be joyful always. You know, so often the enemy tells us that joy is inappropriate right now. It's not appropriate for you to be. Actually, the, the, the thing that we get most of night. 28, thank you, Doc. <laughs> Joyful always. You know, for many of us, we get this thing of like authenticity. 
that we need to be authentic as Christians. Now, I'm not saying that we don't tell people, hey, listen, I'm going through a hard time. But the Bible says, be joyful always. And you see what the enemy will do? Say, like, listen, you can have joy later when you've got your whole life sorted out. When, when, when you have no more problems, then be joyful. What he's basically saying to you is, wait till you die. Wait till you die. That maybe next year, when I get that promotion, when, when I find that husband, when I have that child, when, when that child leaves home, when, you know, when, <laughs> I don't know, you know, when, when that relationship gets sort, sorted out, when I've got more money, whatever it is, the enemy will always give you a reason why joy is inappropriate now. But the culture of heaven is this, be joyful always. In, in another place, Paul writes, he says, rejoice, uh, uh, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He emphasizes it. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because joy is part of the culture of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is um, righteousness, peace, and Joy. One third of the kingdom is joy. How do we get joy? How do we be? Well, we zoom in on what God is doing, what God has done, and what God is going to do. And we thank Him for it. When, when Debbie and I were young students, we played a game. We used to go for a walk in the forest. And we used to play this game because we used to have to find, uh, find things to do together that didn't cost money. We were students. So walking in the forest is one of my favorite things. And I love beautiful things. I love beautiful things, which is why I married Debbie. But um, we would walk in the forest, and I have always loved flowers. And so we would say, okay, first one to spot a flower gets, gets a point. If it's a big flower, you get two points. But if it's a smaller flower, you get five points. But those really, really tiny ones that hide in the grass, those get 10 points. Because in order to find them, you have to actually get down and really look for them and really see them. The most amazing thing is, is those tiny flowers that hide in the grass, if you get in close and you zoom up on them, they are some of the most exquisite creations that God has made. You know what? I want to challenge you to live your life like that. Rejoicing in what God has made and scattered on your path and looking for the joy because in that joy you're going to find strength. In zooming in and finding it. Pray continually. You know the amazing thing about that pray continually? We, we've taken that in such a religious way. In the sense that we, we, it sounds like that, that guy, it's another story, I won't go there. It's, you know, where we, we sanctify, you know, I pray continually, oh, get our praying voice on, oh God, this is me praying continually, it's going to be religious now, from Christmas. many years ago, think that that's how you pray. That you had to have a 
special voice and special language. Oh God, I doth beseech thee. Oh Nigel, I doth don't know you. Who are you? But this word, the exhortation, pray continue, literally means walk in continual communion with God. Just, just be with Him. Just be talking to Him continually. Because if you're praying continually, you are continually bearing in mind He's with you. You know, when I'm with my wife, if I don't talk to her for a long period of time, she grows concerned. Even last night, I was very tired, time in today, and she said to me, Nigel, are you offended with me? And I'm like, huh? No. Have you done something that I don't know about? <laughs> Back up, is that a guilty conscience? What's going on here? And, and, and I said, no. And she said, no, but you're just very quiet. Obviously, this is not my usual mode. <laughs> you see, if you're with someone continually and you're not speaking to them, there can be the understanding that maybe there's something going on. That's what this is about. That, that's not be religious all the time. That's be aware that he's with you and talk to him. <coughs> Tell him, hey Lord, wow, love this song. Lord, who's in this room? What are you feeling? This is what I'm feeling. Lord, I'm back to that. And what it is, is live with a culture of awareness that he's with Right there. When I met Debbie, she was the cutest thing I've ever met. Still is. But she used to do this thing as a student. Her and her sister cultivated an awareness of Jesus. That she would walk, and I met her at UCT, she would go up to campus and she would deliberately, she, she would walk on one side of the park to make space for Jesus to walk next to her. And she walked up and she said, and you know what, that was fine until I started courting with her. And she said, no, 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 walk on that side, Jesus is over there. Yeah, you did that. You did that. You know, and she, she, but you know, the thing was, it wasn't so much that Jesus was there, it was her and her sister had determined to cultivate an awareness of God present with them. Um, she would sit at the table and she would sometimes have two cups of tea, one for her and one for the Lord. That's what this is about when you say, pray. Continue. It's not about being religious all the time. It's about being connected to Jesus all the time. And then be thankful in all circumstances. I find this so challenging. All circumstances? Seriously, Jesus? It doesn't say you have to be thankful for all circumstances. But be thankful in all circumstances. See, those things are cultural things. That's, that, that's not, I'm not talking about cultural Christianity. I'm talking about the culture of Christianity. Coming back to, to when, I, when we went to Bethel. So we were there for six, 
six weeks. And everywhere we went, everywhere we went, we encountered people who were just carrying the presence of God. More and more we began to realize that God, we'd gone over to learn skill sets, but God wanted to change the culture of our hearts. And, and one of the things, the thing that I noted most of all there was people loved God and they knew that they were loved by God. I feel like that's the assignment on us as a ministry and as a church here is to deepen our awareness, our reception, and our releasing of the love of God. That if we will do that and make that the culture of our lives, that as God plants certain things into us, miracle culture, healing culture, prophetic culture, signs, wonders, the things that, that are in a sense the fruits, those things will grow. They'll be healthy. They will, they will expand and go to other places. But for us, the biggest sign is the soil of our lives. And that's to be saturated with earth. I'm going to end with this scripture. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13 says this. And now these three things, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I was just meditating on that scripture during praise and worship. And I, I realized, you know, it's interesting. Faith, how do we cultivate faith in our lives? We want faith. Well, the Word of God says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want your faith to grow in this year? Get into the Word of God. Because as you go and study the Word of God, both the written Word of God and the Word that He releases over you, know, your prophetic word, what will happen is you will learn to hear through the Word of God. You will begin to recognize the voice of God. And when God speaks to you, it creates faith in you. Alright? So that's how we get, we grow in faith by getting to know God's word. How do you grow in hope? You grow in hope as you get to know God's character. See, I've got great hope in the future because I walk with God and I know what He's like. It's like that old story I've told it many times before, but I love it so many times you're all going to pretend you've never heard of it. Of the, the two twins. One was an absolute little pessimist. Always believed something disastrous was going to happen. And the other guy, his twin brother, was the ultimate optimist. Just so over the top optimistic. Always believed something good was going to happen. That their parents grew concerned. On their birthday, they decided, listen, we've got to adjust them both. This little pessimist, he's got to get a little bit more hopeful, but this guy just needs to be grounded in reality a bit. So this is what we're going to do. For our little pessimist, for, for his birthday, we're going to buy him every new toy a kid could want. Every dream he's ever had, we're going to fill his room with that. The other guy, what we're going to do is we're going to fill his room full of horsemen. Do this, get these kids, these little kids say, happy birthday, send them up to their uh, rooms, and they just wait for 30 minutes. After 30 minutes, they go to the optimist, the specimen's room, and they crack the door open, and there he is, he's sitting on his bed, he's in the corner, just crying, bawling his eyes out. And they go and they say, what's wrong? You've got all these lovely toys, 
what song did you mean to me? And he's just kind of going to die. And when he was us, he's all dying, dying and nasty. But is it, wait, what? Wait, why? Why? Is someone dying? Are you, are you moaning at me? Your voice like that? Are you sending you away? Tell me why. Why are you so nice? And I can't have anyone so well. Anyway, they go around the next open the door, and they walk in, and they can't find this guy. He's disappeared. There's just a mound of horse food everywhere. And then suddenly, from the middle of the biggest mound of horse food, out pops this little guy, radiant smile on his face, and he says, This is amazing! This is amazing! What's amazing? He says, There can't be this much horse food in here without a pony! <laughs> <laughs> we need to realize when life seems to be filled with manure, our Father is so good, He has got it. We can have great hope because we know the character of God. Hope comes, faith comes when we know the Word of God. Hope comes when we know the character of God. But the greatest of these is love. Do you know why? Because love comes when we know God. Not just the word, not just his character. Jess and I were chatting about this on the way here. She was talking about, you know, Dad, can you imagine if I studied the social media or something? Right back to those awkward posts when they were 13. I could get to know all about them, but not know them. You've got to spend time with a person to know that person. And you know what? I feel like that's what God's calling us to this year. is a year of saturating ourselves in the presence of God. Being with God. Allow His love to penetrate and permeate every part of our lives and getting to know how deeply He loves us and in return, giving Him our full love. You know what? When you do that, when you know His love, you will have such faith for miracles, for signs, for wonders, for salvation, for transformation. You will have such faith to, over, uh, to, to receive the prosperity that God wants to pour into you. You will have such faith to, uh, to go into the fullness of what God has for you because you've attended to the culture, the soil of your heart. Amen? I just want to, you know, for me, while we were being talking about it this week, was, um, you know, when, when you hear potentially this big word or you have this big goal or dream for a year, um, and, you know, we put some plans together, we, we said, okay, this is what we're going to do to achieve that. And we just felt like the Lord was saying what He wants us to achieve this year is this culture that's going to, the other things are coming out of. And specifically um, this year with regard to the love of God. And um, 
1 Corinthians 13, um, in the first verse, other than what Nigel, it speaks about if you did these great and mighty things, if you did that amazing thing, if you were this wise, if you were this important, etc. But it says, if you didn't have love, the first one was you'd be a canning, canning symbol. That means you'll be empty. You'll be like the gong. You'll be empty. If you don't have love, you are nothing. And the last one is if you don't have love, you gain nothing. So, you know, this is an important culture to cultivate in our lives because if we cultivate it, we are not empty. That means we are full. We gain everything. And what's the other one? And we are something because God's love is inside of us. And um, so I just want us just to end now, just have a moment of quiet. Mm -hmm. Because we can always say, yes, I want to do that. But what does that look like in your day-to-day? -day? Because we were saying, like, you know, Nigel was in, in Thessalonians, where it says, um, be thankful always, love, just those three things. You know, this isn't something, this is something that is in your everyday. It's not this big goal, but it's something that there's the little things that actually in the end, as we fulfill God's will in the little things, we find that the big things happen or near, um, as a result of them, right? So the question is, you know, sometimes those little things we don't actually, I think the word I'm looking for is we are not as intentional about it in our lives. We just adhere to it. Oh yeah, you know, we hear a great value and we say, yeah, I, I agree with that. But how are we cultivating? So let's just take a moment of silence and say like, well, how can I cultivate Love, love for God, remain in love, that's when remain in the way of love, remain in the sense of everything you do, do it in love. What does that look like if you're intentional about doing that in your life? Uh, remain in love in the sense of in love with God, falling in love with God as, as your first love. Well, what can you do intentionally to, to stir up love, to awaken love for the Lord? In? And then also just Remain in love in the sense of God is love. Remain in God. How do I do that in my life? So let's just take a moment where you can just think about well, what practical things just allow the Lord to show you that I can do that are going to make this happen in my life. So Father, we ask you to just come and reveal to us and show us right now and the rest of this week practical ways that we can cultivate love in our lives, you as love in our lives. Thanks for listening to the Beautiful Life podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our channel below. If you would like to keep in contact with us, you can sign up for our newsletter by emailing us at info at noordinarylife.co.za or visit our website. If you have any testimonies, please email us. We'd love to hear them. Until next time, have a blessed day.